from Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, yes. Uh, join me in prayer. God, you are our help from ages past. Uh, you hold us in your mighty hand. Because you know everything, you see the sorrows and joys of all people, especially those the world pushes to the margins. With the Spirit's help, may we hear your voice in this text and reflection and in the events and people in our lives. May your love fill us. Amen. Our scripture today is from Genesis chapter 29. Uh, hear God's word. After Jacob had stayed with him, Laban, for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now Leah had delicate eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years and return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served for seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Jacob gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as an attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Billah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And Jacob worked for Laban another seven years. The word of the Lord. Now, we might think 
that this Old Testament passage is no longer relevant, Ian, to the modern world. But here's a story from 10 to 15 years ago from rural Asia. Some colleagues and I came to a village for a project, maybe looking for small business participants, uh, maybe work, looking for children with disabilities to uh, put in an inclusive education program. But we met a man with two wives. Yes, one husband, two wives. Now, that was unusual in this country that only recognizes one marriage at a time as legal. The man joked, not unkindly, saying his first wife just wasn't producing children at the same pace as 20 years earlier. Uh, true. Um, but on household matters, the first wife, you know, in her 40s, had several children. She had power um, and was the one who spoke to us. Um, while his second wife, probably not quite 20, likely pregnant, said little. The second wife was in a vulnerable position. She had no legal rights because her religious marriage was not validated by civil law. Now, not expecting this unusual encounter and having work to do, I did not have time to reflect on how I might have spoken grace to these two women who were in an interesting position, both of them. And for women today around the world who are widowed, single, infertile, abused, their situations may not be much different than the women in our passage. And if I were preaching on the passage that immediately follows our text, which is a long passage, is Genesis 29, 31 to Genesis, Genesis 30, 24, I thought of titling that sermon, Desperate Housewives of the Ancient Near East. <laughs> I could, yeah, it really would be. Where, where Jacob has four women, the two daughters and the two servants, uh, two with more power, two with less. Um, uh, now, well, that seems funny. I would actually rather someone producing the stories of the women of Genesis look to The Chosen as a model. So The Chosen is an online and streaming version of the gospel stories that kind of looks at between the lines and backstories. And that's received some buzz on social media for its creativity. Holy imagination might allow us to take an enriched look at the women who are directly in the line of Jesus. So we're going to look at our scripture and then some related texts and applications. Now, for those who pay attention to details as I read this story, one thing I noticed is that the women are silent in this passage. We're going to speak a lot in the next one. Two men, an uncle and his nephew, make a deal, bartering for Rachel and for Leah, as if they were not people but property. In the context of Genesis, the ancient Near East, Children are important, and daughters ready to marry are a means to reach that goal. This is how it was for women, their lives dictated by others, at least socially and formally. Now, the more positive Psalm 128 that Scott read, a text traditionally recited as Jewish pilgrims came to Jerusalem to worship and for festivals, emphasizes a man having a wife and children. It speaks of the blessings of children and grandchildren because in the ancient Near East, the average life expectancy was under 40 years old. And spouses and children and grandchildren are a blessing then and they are today. 
An important context we may not realize in reading this passage, or even the longer Jacob and Rachel and Leah's story, was that it was only one month for Jacob to fall in love with Rachel. It was seven years until the back-to-back bridal weeks. The passage states that to Jacob it felt fast, but I'm pretty sure it was not so for Leah or for Laban with two daughters in conflict over one eligible man. Then we have another seven years, the next chapters of Genesis, where Jacob is working and getting back at his, at his uncle, uh, and Leah experiences multiple, at least four, nine-month pregnancies, and Rachel struggles for years with infertility. What we read in a few minutes is months and months, decades, you know, more than a decade, in these people's lives. Leah feels unloved despite producing heirs, sons, while Rachel experiences shame because she is unable to do so. And Jacob is unable or unwilling to resolve the sisters plus cousin marriage quagmire that he and his uncle made. Everyone ends up frustrated. Overall, I do not find this story hopeful but I find it refreshingly realistic. People and society are broken, deceitful, selfish, even sometimes abusive or manipulative. 3,000 years ago or now, the details change, but we still harm one another. The Bible does not shy away from this. Even if we would rather avoid difficulties or we might fail to notice people in tough places. We find hope in God's ongoing redemption of humanity, and later we discuss how we might be people of hope and healing in a hurting world. The stories of people, uh, the stories and people of Genesis do flow on into other sections of scripture, including these specific people today. For example, in a blessing in Ruth 4.11 that the women give to Boaz and Ruth, the great-grandparents of King David, as they marry. There's a slight problem with this blessing and a larger issue with the passage in Matthew uh, that we'll explore next. Um, so Ruth 4.11 reads, May the Lord make the, whim, the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Why is Leah not listed first as the elder sister and as the ancestor of Boaz? And it's her, not Rachel. Um, because um, he comes, Boaz comes from Judah, Leah's fourth son. Uh, there, we're invited to ask God's blessing, yet hold on to the realism of Genesis, which means Leah's story, and also the news. A recent headline, you know, just this week, was of an 18-year-old young woman trafficked to Seattle on the margins of the All-Star baseball game. Lord, have mercy. Blessed with scripture and spirit, we, God's people, can be present with hardship and not lose all hope. Now, pondering our scriptures today within the broader context of the Bible, I find two potential applications. The first is how we notice and respond to people, especially women, who are in challenging and sometimes not near local situations. And the second is how we can express the good news that includes these precious to God women who are struggling without being patronizing or shallow from our comfortable place. And neither of these is easy. 
but I believe both are part of the way of Christ. And that means the path for us who claim to be Jesus' disciples. Okay, first a question to check if you're still awake. What was the theme of the recent sermon series for this congregation? Prayer, okay, they are awake, prayer. Okay, so when there's a news article or an email or a social media post that shows us women or girls who are suffering, like this news about the 18-year-old being trafficked, how do we respond? Even when the human-caused tragedy or natural disaster is far away, we might be tempted to look away, too hard, too depressing. But when we discern with the Spirit guiding us, I believe that we are frequently called to prayerful lament and to cry out to God's merciful and powerful intervention and healing to come. Now that does not mean feeling obligated to intensive intercession with every piece of bad news you hear. But it could mean noticing those nations where North Creek has partnerships and responding with lament and prayer for those or even two or three of them. So here they are in alphabetical order. The Dominican Republic, Haiti, Honduras, India, Kazakhstan, Mexico, Uganda, plus South Asia and East Asia. Allow, even ask God to guide you to one or more of these partnerships to be regularly in your prayers. Now, the practice we may have been taught as prayer is just simply asking God to act in difficult circumstances. We simply pray from our hearts, our thoughts, in response to our lives and to the news, especially to hurting women. No special words necessary. God hears us. But I want to invite us beyond that brief prayer for God's help. A short, right-in-the-moment prayer is good, a response from your heart. But prayer can be one more thing on your or my to-do list that is quickly forgotten. Spend some time in lament. When people have died, when, when children are constantly hungry, when violence or war impacts cities and villages, decimating the lives, devastating the lives of survivors, or when women do not have access to the hope, mercy, and peace offered by God in Christ. Based on today's scriptures and characters, a passage I suggest for lament is Matthew 2.18, which quotes Jeremiah 31.15. But I would make the verse include Leah and Rachel, women who are loved or unloved, able or unable to have children. Remember it is Leah, not Rachel, who is the ancestor of King David and the people of Judah who originally lived near Bethlehem, the ancestors of Jesus. Now the location of Ramah, the place named is debated, but it is sometimes linked with the tomb site of Rachel, who, uh, which is near Bethlehem. Rachel died in childbirth, but this cry in Matthew 2.18 is of those living. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Leah and Rachel weeping for their children and refusing to be comforted, for they are no more. I will pause for 30 to 60 seconds of lament. Come, Holy Spirit.
Another option for expressing heartache, the many psalms which help us cry out to God with anger and grief and sorrow. Sadly, Leah and Rachel did not have the Psalter, the oral and uh, written laments, as they lived centuries earlier. I draw our attention especially to the psalms of communal complaint. Um, here's the list. 44, 74, 79, 80, 83, and 89, but especially these three, 44, 74, and 80. So again, 44, 74, and 80. Now, while many psalms speak of personal lament, to amplify the voices of women who are silenced and suffering, our prayers need to speak in response collectively to echo their pain. Now, a side note on how I selected these psalms out of the psalms of lament. Sometimes the Old Testament has elements of retribution theology, it kind of where God helps the righteous and punishes the wicked. Adding that thinking of retribution or revenge to the excruciating pain that brings rise to asking God to punish or even take revenge on those who hurt us can be volatile or make us bitter. Let's read the Old Testament with some of the lens of Jesus in view for our responses holding mercy and grace and truth so that we do not minimize the hurt and the wrongs, but reduce the tendency to pray for punishment of wrongdoers, especially harsh punishment. For that reason, I would prefer Psalm 80 over Psalm 79. And as we think about this lament and how long you can be there, how well do our prayers match the length of the suffering of others? Might we stretch our faithfulness to lament and intercede over weeks and months that women and their children who face violence and hunger and shame and despair, we would be with them. And I have to say, I'm challenged here in my busyness and in how much pain I see. But we could instead listen for the place. Of, uh, again, the Spirit does not call us to pray for every crisis but instead to listen for those places where we can stay engaged for a longer period of time, asking God to act on behalf of those who are hurting. And here's our second and last application or invitation. In a world where systems and leaders still work against women and girls in many ways, what good news do we have to share? What could I have offered that first wife or second wife I met in the village that day over a decade ago? If God gives us an opportunity to speak to a neighbor who is struggling, what words are life-giving? After God's heart, we long to see these women blessed, whether they are married or not, have children or not, no matter what their circumstances are. Here are a few passages we might offer. Again, spirit guiding us after we have sat, listened, lamented, and prayed until the person beside us or in the news is real and we cannot trivialize her pain. Psalm 45.6 refers to the city of God, Zion, the city of God, in feminine terms. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Psalm, Proverbs 4, 11, 16, a kind-hearted woman gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Honor is very important in Middle Eastern and Asian cultures. Proverbs ranks honor as more important than money. 
And Proverbs also repeatedly depicts wisdom, God's wisdom, as a woman. Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth speaks to Mary in Luke 1.45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. God sees women, honors, and calls them. There are the stories and songs of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. The stories, songs, prayers, and prophecies of Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna in Luke chapters 1 and 2. Parallels there. When, where the difficulties are many, the shame and grief of barrenness, or the stigma of teen pregnancy, the Spirit inspires the women to speak of God working to bring honor, hope, and redemption to those who are out of favor in places where certain men dominate or where the wealthy have disproportionate power. And here's a story I heard from an English tutor here in the United States recently. Her refugee student, a woman, came to class looking sad and burdened. The tutor noticed and inquired about the news behind that long face. The student poured out her heart. She was pregnant with her fourth child, just when her three older children were entering school, enabling her to work, and they were working on English so she could get a job. The tutor reassured her that every child is God's blessing, but did not dismiss the less than ideal timing. We pray to be present similarly, offering words that acknowledge the difficulties that are not going away, but recognizing the good that God is giving. This week, and next, and next, and next, let the Spirit guide us to intercession, or lament, or a mix of the two. We may or may not have the opportunity to encourage a hurting person, but we can meditate on, memorize, store on our phone, Verses that catch our attention, ready to give a grounded word of hope. How many women are weeping today? We ask God's grace so that we can hear them, we can join in their complaint, and we can see the Lord rebuild their lives on God's terms, in God's time, with compassion, justice, healing, and joyful flourishing. Amen.